Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Tech Swamp. Today, I'm sitting down with ACT, the App Association President, Morgan Reed, and partner at Gibson Dunn here in DC, Joe Catan. Joe has been involved in Frand issues for nearly two decades, and so we're sitting down with him to discuss a very important case. But before we do, I'd like to say hello, guys, and thank you for joining Tech Swamp. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Um, so today, you know, we're going to get into the nitty gritty on a very important case before the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, that involves telecom giant Qualcomm. Joe recently wrote a paper titled The Qualcomm Case and U.S. National Security, and that details the false narratives that Qualcomm has been pushing regarding this case. And before we dive into that, I want to get into some of the background on this case for our listeners. Morgan, can you kind of paint a picture about how this all started essentially with a bucket of chips? Well, thanks. And uh, I think for listeners, apologize for my cold, but hopefully I'll make it through without any too too many coughing sessions. Um, I think what we have to do is kind of rise up at a 60,000 foot level. Um, Every day in your life and almost all things that you're doing, you are depending on standards, whether it's the wire that plugs uh, one thing into another, whether it's the telecommunications equipment that allows your mobile phone to work, whether it's the myriad number of parts that are on your car that all depend on standards to make sure that they work together well. The way that our entire standard system exists is companies, no, competitors, come to a table together and they decide on what would be the best technical technological outcome for a particular use and then they essentially put their technology on the table and they do so in the form of patents. Uh, what these engineers decide on is how a standard will be put forth, what the rules are governing the standard, um, how it works, what are the rules for interacting with it and how you can go forth and then take advantage of it. Now. You can imagine a group of competitors getting at a table to essentially uh, give away um, their technology would be a problem. So what standards do is they don't force your company to give it away, but they have arrived at a term called FRAND, which stands for Fair, Reasonable, and Non-Discriminatory. And that says, hey, we value the technology that you're putting forth into the standard, and so you get a chance to take a little bit of each one of the products that are sold that use this standard. But in exchange for getting that volume, um, you have to agree that you're not going to discriminate. That's the non-discriminatory part of FRAND. And that means, by most people accounts, the word non-discriminatory means that whoever wants a license gets a license. And that includes your competitors. So this sets up a very interesting equation. For a quick review of the U.S. patent system, one of the things that you get the right to do is if you get a patent, you can basically bar someone from using your patented technology. You can exclude them. Um, It's the ability to build a fence around your idea and actually your implementation of an idea and say, you can't use this without my permission. Standards, on the other hand, say, we're going to open a gate to that and say, here's how people come in and have access to that property. Now, You asked a good question on a bucket of chips. Part of what's going on in this space is um, we know the explosion of the Internet of Things and we know of the explosion of connected devices. What companies are wanting to do now is they want to go and buy a bucket of chips from Intel or someone else and put those into all sorts of devices and capabilities that nobody's even thought of before. But they want to take a license at the moment that they buy that bucket of chips so that they can 
put that into the into the workspace. They want to know what the license costs. They want to know how they get the license, and they want to know what the grounds are for that license for that standard that they want to use. And remember, standard is an important word, right? Standard it means kind of everybody's on the same page. We're all agreeing to the same concepts. So what's happening with Qualcomm is two things are happening. One. They are violating the concept of non-discriminatory. They are saying, you know what? We don't have to license to competitors. We can exclude people from licensing. And one of the ways they do that is say, we're only going to license to the final product maker. We're not going to license to the person selling the bucket of chips. We're only going to license to the end product that goes out the door. And look, for their shareholders, that's a great deal because what they're trying to do is squeeze the maximum profit out of the product because they get it at the end, they get it at its highest price, and they get their cut from the highest price of the product. Here's the basic problem. That blows up the entire concept of a standard, which is available for all, available for everybody, and supposed to really set the baseline by which everything goes forward um, and, and makes more innovation on top of it. So what's happened is Qualcomm has gone around the world um, in this kind of way of shading on this concept of non-discriminatory, on this concept of, of who you license to, and uh, they've been busted by multiple antitrust uh, um, bodies around the world. Lately, the United States has also stepped in. The Federal Trade Commission has also sued Qualcomm on this same question. And they are currently being um, investigated. There's already been a case going on. We're all waiting for waiting for Judge Coe to re release her ruling. Well, into that very legal, very uh, above board process has stepped politics. Qualcomm is now using the political issue of America versus China to try to put pressure on the FTC to settle. They've essentially come out and said that well, if you don't give us a preferential deal, if you don't settle on our terms, if you don't do it, America will lose. They've essentially ignored that Intel exists. They've ignored that any other companies exist. And they are uh, attempting to uh, cage this as it's America, which equals Qualcomm, versus China, big bad China. And this is incredibly dangerous because they're bringing national security into an issue that is really one about, hey, what kind of pri what kind of price can you get and what can you do to exclude participants inside of a standard? And so I thought it was really important uh, that Joe Kitan wrote this paper that really tore into this question of 5G and national security and where does it sit? Because I think the hyperbole of America versus China and Qualcomm is the stalking horse for America is incredibly damaging because national security is important. China is an important um, part of this system, but let's not blow up the entire standards world just so somebody gets some slightly better margins for their, uh, for their standard technology. And uh, with that, I, I think it's really more important that uh, Joe get a chance to talk through where the national security elements are. Absolutely. And and before we move further, um, if anything sparked your interest with what Morgan said about standard central patents and FRAND issues, we do have episode 13 of, of Tech Swamp where we take a deep dive into um, our position with all things FRAND and, and where we sit um, a little bit more of a deep dive on this issue. Um, so, Joe, we want to talk about your paper. There is obviously a lot of valuable information in what you present, but I think it would be most digestible for our listeners um, to lay out the four fictions um, that Qualcomm has recently been pushing. 
They've been saying that, you know, they're the only American company competing for 5G leadership, that the suit brought by the FTC will cause great harm to the U.S. um, allowing Chinese companies to infiltrate this industry. Can you kind of break down these claims one by one and debunk them for us? Sure. And I think, you know, what I want to say at the beginning is that, you know, Qualcomm has been operating on this premise that if you repeat something uh, long enough and have enough people repeat it for you, and Lord knows they have paid a ton of money to consultants to publish articles on their behalf crying wolf about national security. If you repeat it enough times, it becomes true, and it's not. Didn't they break a record on a consultant, the judge in San Diego, sent? they said one consultant for one testimony, $4 million, if I recall. I think that, that I think the judge said, I've never seen anything like this before. So, and, and you know, and, and the claims that these consultants are making are hysterical. So one of them claims the case threatens existential harm to Qualcomm. He says that it threatens a monumental calamity for the U.S. economy. Imagine the entire U.S. economy collapsing because the FTC brought an antitrust case against Qualcomm. So let's begin with the fictions, because Qualcomm's story is founded upon a stack of fictions. Um, The first one is that the FTC is suing Qualcomm for charging high prices. And this is serious charge because antitrust law does not regulate prices. It prohibits abuses of market power. It does not regulate prices. Companies can charge what the market will bear. But guess what? The FTC didn't do any such thing. It sued to enjoin Qualcomm from engaging in coercive practices that U.S. antitrust law has prohibited from time immemorial. And Importantly, these are practices that Qualcomm's own CEO admitted at the trial are unique to his company. So the first one of these is something called no license, no chips. And Qualcomm has a monopoly position in the modem chips that go into cell phones. And what Qualcomm says to the cell phone manufacturer is, I will not sell you my modem chips unless you take a license from me for my standard essential patents. Now, under Supreme Court law, in fact, when Qualcomm sells those patents, I'm I'm sorry, when Qualcomm sells those chips, its rights in the patents are extinguished. There is a doctrine called exhaustion that says that when you sell a product that embodies a patent, your rights in the patent are exhausted. So Qualcomm forces its customers and threatens customers with supply cutoff unless they take a license. And there was plenty of testimony in the trial from customers that basically says to the effect of, and one of them said it in so many words, I have two choices. Either submit to Qualcomm's unreasonable demands for huge license fees or go out of business. Now, why does Qualcomm do that? Uh, Everybody else Squalcom CEO admitted, charges for their patents on the price of the chip itself, or whatever product it is. When you buy a car, you don't pay a separate uh, fee for the patents that are embodied in your car. When you buy a computer, you don't pay a separate fee for that. Qualcomm charges a separate fee, and the reason they do that is that fee is imposed on the chips that are sold by Qualcomm's competitors. 
And that operates as a tax on Qualcomm's competitors, effectively the same way that a tariff would. It raises the cost of using the uh, competitor's chips. And that money, the cost, the additional cost, goes into Qualcomm's own pockets. Now, Qualcomm made commitments to the standards organizations that Morgan referred to to license everybody. And it's not simply to license non-discriminatorily. The, 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 the rules say license every implementer. And there was a ruling from the court in um, uh, San Jose that said license everybody. Uh, it, when it says license, and the exact words are all implementers, all means all. Qualcomm actually argued that all doesn't mean all. And why does Qualcomm do, do that? Because if they were to license the competitors, they would have to charge a royalty based on the price of the chip, which would be something like $15. Instead, they charge a royalty that's based on the price of the phone, which is more like $400. And uh, Qualcomm, in uh, an interview with the IRS, explaining the licensing practices, said, you know why would they do that? It's, quote, this is a quote, humongously more lucrative. So it's humongously more lucrative to impose this massive tax on Qualcomm's competitors. And you want to know how big this tax is? Qualcomm estimates that it collects 25% of all patent royalties worldwide. This is not 25% of royalties on cell phones or communications product. It's 25% of worldwide royalties on everything. Aeronautics, pharmaceuticals, automobiles, computers. 25%. But Joe, isn't it worth noting that nobody forces them to go to a standards body? They're not required by law. When you were talking about those requirements under FRAND, that's not the government imposing it. They're choosing to sit at that standards table. And I think that's something that, you know, is, is they're choosing to basically flaunt the rules or game the system exactly. when they are participating voluntarily. They choose to sit there because when their uh, technology is written into a standard, the demand for their patents skyrockets. And the trade-off is you take this increased demand, but you agree to license on fair and reasonable terms to everybody. And that's the part that they're flouting. And in fact, even though the rules said you have to license all, they said all actually doesn't mean all. I don't have to license my competitors. Now, these re the revenues from these, they not only imposed a massive tax on their competitors, but they also uh, funded a bunch of other anti-competitive practices by Qualcomm that the FTC is after. So for example, Qualcomm recycled some royalty revenues into payments of billions of dollars, uh, which resulted in below cost pricing for their chips to keep competitors out. Uh, for example, from, from the Apple lineup, they kept yep. Intel out from the Apple lineup. They even paid uh, Apple to kill a technology called WiMAX, which was a viable fourth generation technology about 10 years ago, uh, had a lot of promise, and they paid them basically, uh, don't support it, don't develop the technology, and, uh, uh, and they managed to kill that. So it's kind of ironic when you hear Qualcomm saying they care about American leadership and technology. WiMAX was an American technology promoted by Intel, and they actually made a payment. Didn't ask anything for return other than kill it. Um, 
and 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 the way Apple executives describe it, it was a payment to kill uh, this technology. So these are the practices they're they're being challenged for. It has nothing to do with charging higher prices. Higher prices are a consequence of that. They are not the violation, and and they're really not higher chip prices. They're higher uh, royalties that are imposed on the entire ecosystem and result on Qualcomm taking 25% of all the pat patent royalties on the, in the world on every product. Now Qualcomm says, if you, if you stop me from doing this, if I can't collect the 25% of all the patent royalties in the world, my incentive to uh, invest in 5G technology will be eviscerated and leadership in 5G will go to China. And this, is, will, this will create a national security uh, disaster. Well, it, it's not true. Uh, <laughs> first of all, uh, when, when you see the Qualcomm people who talk about it and all their consultants who publish all these articles, they're remarkably fact-free. They don't cite <laughs> any facts or figures in support of this idea that Qualcomm will not have the incentive uh, to invest in 5G. And, and the reason is that they can't support it. Um, the Qualcomm, Qualcomm's, first of all, the FTC's case, to the extent that it resu results in uh, reductions of revenues to Qualcomm, it'll be in its licensing business. The chip business will not be affected. The chip business last year earned profits of $3 billion on revenues of about $17 billion. It's not bad, it's about 17% uh, in, in profits. Um, now, that alone should provide a sufficient incentive to continue investing. Uh, most companies would find that kind of margin pretty good. But that's not the end of the story. Qualcomm expects both its revenues and its earnings for the chip business, which doesn't participate in its uh, licensing royalties, to increase over the coming years, because uh, when 5G technology gets um, uh, wide adoption, uh, Qualcomm uh, expects to play a large part in that. And 5G, as everybody knows, means that the technology that's now used in cell phone is going to be used everywhere in your cars, in your thermostats, in industrial equipment, in traffic lights, everywhere. And Qualcomm expects to gain a large part of that. So even... But their, li the, their goal on that is, as you say, they're not licensed. They're, they're part of this, this idea is it's going to be used as a standard, and yet they want, they want the power to treat it as an exclusive right as opposed to a standard. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. And... and uh, and that's why we hear all these uh, uh, cry wolf types of stories uh, from Qualcomm because they want to be able to continue what they've been doing and to extend their model, their business model, which is unique from the cell phone industry to a whole host of industries that have not been uh, affected by Qualcomm's anti-competitive practices. Now, it, you don't even have to wait for mass adoption for 5G for Qualcomm's profits to go up. According to its president, uh, we told investors this just a few months ago at an earnings call. We expect 5G to be a significant expansion 
even on existing units, both in revenues and earnings. Uh, listen to what he's saying. Even if our unit sales don't go up, and of course they expect unit sales to go up as soon as 5G proliferates beyond the, sale phone, the cell phone, both revenues and earnings are going to go up. So this idea that Qualcomm will not have an incentive when it's already making $3 billion a year and it expects revenues and earnings to go up even before the proliferation of 5G, and of course after that we're off to the races, it's absolute nonsense. So now that we know the background of the case and, and more about the propaganda that Qualcomm is pushing, let's talk about next steps at the FTC. You know, Joe, we've heard rumors of a settlement. Let's let's wrap up and, and talk about what's what's next. So what what could be next is a decision from Judge Coe, which would be a very welcome thing. And uh, all the indications are, given how overwhelmingly uh, strong the evidence was at trial, uh, I would imagine that any decision from her would rule that all of the practices that the FTC had challenged are unlawful and have to be enjoined. Now, with regard to settlement, um, you know, settlement depends on what kind of settlement the FTC can get. If the FTC can get a settlement that brings all of the anti-competitive practices to an absolute end so that Qualcomm can no longer force customers to take licenses, if it, if it thinks customers are um, infringing its patents, it can do what everybody else in the world does, which is negotiate, and if negotiations fail, then you can bring a, a lawsuit. So if that is enjoined, if they cannot force customers to take licenses as a condition of buying their chips, if they're forced to um, adhere and honor, adhere to and honor their commitments, voluntarily undertaken commitments, to license their standard essential patents on fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory terms to all patent implementers, including competitors, and then if the other practices are also uh, halted by the FTC. If that can happen, that would be a good outcome, and a settlement like that would be, I think, uh, welcome and certainly improve the state of affairs compared to where we are now. Um, I think that's very unlikely to happen because I don't see Qualcomm being uh, agreeing to any kind of settlement that would seriously crimp its anti-competitive uh, money printing machine. <laughs> uh, that's something that I just don't see them agreeing to. Uh, and I think it's ultimately very likely to take a judicial decision that says stop, no more, um, to do that. But again, if the FTC can get a settlement that does all of those good things, then that would be welcome. Yeah, I guess um, because I work in the public policy space um, as opposed to the straight litigation space on this one, I have uh, I I would say that to Joe's point, I really would prefer no settlement and uh, and Judge Coe to rule because while Joe's right, if Qualcomm's behavior can be quashed, if Qualcomm's um, complete disrespect for non-discrimination were changed. That's great. But I have to look at it, the larger picture. I have to look at the questions of who's the next Qualcomm? What's the next technology that's um, barred uh, through standard? What's the next patented revolution that doesn't become part of our daily lives because somebody is holding, uh, holding a standards body hostage? And so for that reason, um, while 
while Joe's right, a great settlement would be great for this immediate situation. Long term, I would rather have Judge Coe rule. I agree with Joe that I think her ruling would likely um, present us with answers to these questions. And I think that's really important for the next Qualcomm and the next company down the road that says, hey, I can get humongous profits by essentially holding standards hostage. So to me, the, uh, the, the settlement is interesting, but I'm looking at it from a public policy perspective, and I'd like something with a little more teeth to it. I want a ruling. I want something that we can go to courts around the world and say, this behavior is not acceptable. This business model is not acceptable. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's all for this special edition of Tech Swamp. If you heard anything that piqued your interest, head over to our website. We're going to have all of the things linked in our show notes, including our latest content on this case, as well as Joe's paper. Morgan, Joseph, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you.